Well, welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. I'm so joyful and delighted to be worshiping with you this morning. Welcome. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. And let us stand to our feet as we sing our opening hymn, hymn 16. Give to our God immortal praise. Mercy and truth are all his ways. Please join me in reading the litany of invitation and confession printed in your order of worship. We come to worship bringing our joy. We turn aside from the distractions of our daily striving. As we affirm God's love, we confess our inadequacy at loving.
we confess our sins. Sisters and brothers, God has baptized us in grace. We are forgiven. Let us lift our voices in gratitude and praise to God. Well, welcome again to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. So delighted you're with us. If you're a visitor, we invite you to fill out the insert that's in your order of worship. Just tear that off. And during the offering near the end of the service, you can place that in the offering plates as they come by. Also, for all here um, who are with us who have a prayer concern, our staff meets regularly on Tuesdays and uh, praise for congregational concerns. If you'd like us to add that to the congregational concerns, uh, please write that on the same insert, and you can place it in the offering plate. Uh, a special Sunday it is this morning, uh, this beautiful July day. Uh, this is the last Sunday that Reverend Anna Kate Stevenson will be with us. Um, that brings us uh, sorrow as she leaves, but we rejoice in her next steps and are grateful for the gift that she has brought us these last few years. Near the end of the service, there will be a time of blessing. We'll ask the children to gather around here, her, and we will have a, a reception for Anna Kate on the steps uh, right outside the chapel uh, near the magnolia tree. Lemonade and cookies, all are invited. Our doctrinal emphasis in the summer series this morning is on the atonement, the atonement. And you've already heard words about the atonement, and the hymns we sing today will speak of those rich, traditional atonement theories. If you were fortunate enough to be with us in church school this morning, you heard Dr. Graham Walker talk about different models of atonement. And you can, in the sermon this morning, you can ask, uh, did I give any of those theories in my sermon? Uh, I'm interested to hear what you think. Um, the scriptures will speak in different ways of the power and significance of the atonement. For those of you who were raised in, uh, with a theological tradition that talked about the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus, then you might need a little antidote in Psalm 85 that talks about God's anger subsiding. You might need to hear about reconciliation from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And you might need to hear about what true service looks like from the gospel according to Matthew. Let's hear those texts as we worship God. The Lord's anger turns to love. A reading from the Psalms. <clears throat> Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You pardoned all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. 
Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground, and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and will make his make a path for his steps. Here ends the first lesson. Now let us pray. God of signs and wonders, bless us this day with your manifold blessings. Through your love and overflowing grace, you call us once more to reflect your glory and seal us in the promise of your spirit. O God, sustain us in the complexity of our humanity as you sustain David, playing the harp of youth, throwing stones at giant problems, loving our friends beyond wisdom, dancing worship, mourning children, breaking our hearts in psalms, and longing for warmth in our old bones. God, you call us to love and serve you with body, mind, and spirit through loving your creation and our sisters and brothers. God, you are a friend of those in need. Your son, Jesus, has untied our burdens and healed our spirits. We lift up the prayers of our hearts for those still burdened, those seeking healing, those in need within the church and the world. Hear our prayers, O God, and may we love you fully with our whole being. And as we pray these things, we are reminded of the words that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Christ died so that we might live for God. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Corinthians. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ 
and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here ends the second lesson. Girls and boys, you can join us at the front. Dr. Dan will take your offering. I'm so glad that you're all here today. How many of you like being outside? Do you have a favorite place outside? Yes. Where? The pool? The Amazon rainforest. The Amazon rainforest. What a place. That, I'm sure that is amazing. I have a digging pit. A digging pit? That's your favorite? Mine is my trampoline. Your trampoline? Yeah. Where's yours? Baseball, yeah, and white water. And white water. <laughs> flags. Yeah, well, I love a place that is outside with lots of wildflowers. I love wildflowers, and I actually picked these from around the church. Aren't they beautiful? They're so pretty. They're bright, and they have so much color in them. They look like the sun to me. Aren't they pretty? I haven't ever been to a place where there's just tons and tons, hundreds of wildflowers, but I can imagine what it would look like. I've seen pictures, and I just can't, I, I actually can't imagine how beautiful it would be. It's almost like it would be too beautiful to imagine. But there is a story, there's a scripture in the Bible from the book of Psalms, and the author says that Everything in the world, everything that is good in this, on this earth is God's. So do you think that there's a place on, in all of the earth, on all of the earth, that God is not a part of, God is not there? Do you think that there's a place that exists like that? No, no that's right. God is everywhere. And did you know that God gave us the earth as a gift so that we could take care of it? And we can say thanks to God for this beautiful and wonderful gift by taking care of the earth. So how, how do we do that? How can we take care of creation, of things outside? What can we do? Well, we actually not really taking care of it from pollution. Yes, you're right. Pollution is bad. So what can we do to help stop pollution? Um, clean up the earth. Clean up the earth, pick up trash. What else can we do? Last night, my trash can smelled horrible. So maybe we can recycle. Recycling is... Like trash cans smell horrible. Yes, sometimes trash does smell horrible. But we can recycle. That helps. What else can we do? Maybe we can, if we... What if we see a hurt bird? 
could help one it. Time I, um, one time I saved a bird, a baby's life from dying. That's great. That's so important. When they die, they help them in like there's a whole pack of bears coming right near our house. They're very sharpy and then they get some eyes to catch it and then it will jump higher and then pull back its neck. So your dog protected you. That's great. There are lots of ways that, w- that, we can help thank, that we can thank God for this earth and where we live. And we can help care for it. So this week, let's practice caring for the earth. Let's practice being good stewards of God's creation. Because God is continuing to create things every single day. Okay? So let's, let's practice that this week. Helping to care for the earth. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this beautiful earth that we live in. We thank you for the green grass and the beautiful wildflowers and the air that we breathe. God, I pray that we will continue to care for this this place that you have given to us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. hymn is uh, number 39, and the reason I'm standing up here is because it may not be as familiar a hymn for you as some other ones you've heard this morning. Many of you know I grew up in a tradition um, that wasn't Baptist, so when I came to the Baptist faith, I uh, learned a lot of new things about hymns, and that's why I ask Keith every Tuesday at staff meeting, how does this hymn go? And to be fair, the notes to this hymn say... Uh, that although it is a hymn that is uh, it's grand in its approach to Scripture, it covers almost every biblical teaching ima- imaginable, it is a difficult hymn to master, it says. So I've asked a person who's good at mastering hymns to come up along with the choir ensemble, Keith Walker and the choir ensemble, to sing hymn 39. They'll sing the first two stanzas. When we get to the third and fourth, you will stand and sing with them. Thank you.
Jesus teaches us what true service looks like, a reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him, and he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You see, James is out this morning. Uh, he and Liz are in Asheville, North Carolina. We'll be praying for them and their, their journeys. Can you hear me, by the way? Is the microphone on? Good. You notice that he didn't preach uh, on the Trinity last week, and, and I'm preaching the Atonement this week, so you know what may be difficult theological topics for the senior pastor. And they're, they're difficult theological topics for me, it should be for all of us. Now, I remember when I got the note from my professor in seminary to visit about the paper I'd written, there was more ink spilled over one section of that paper than any other, and it was my section on the atonement. You see, I struggled with the atonement. I struggle with the atonement. I, I couldn't, for the life of me, come to terms with it. So there I was in his office, and he said, I think you need to do some more work on this. He said, go read Bart, go read Aquinas. But the older I get, the more I've come to believe that atonement is not something I will one day get if I just read the right book. No, atonement is something that I must receive. It is something that happens. For 2,000 years, Christians have tried to get atonement. There have been all these theories trotted out. And it makes it seem like what happened on the cross with Jesus was just a, a physics problem, perhaps. If we just had the right math equation, suddenly we'd all understand. And when you first heard the gospel, no doubt there was an atonement theory buried in the message. Think back with me. You may have heard something like, you're a sinner and Jesus died for you. So believe in Jesus and you'll get saved. Substitutionary atonement. 
Maybe some of you grew up in more Calvinist settings and you heard that Jesus only died for certain people, the elect, only those who were preordained to salvation. So he didn't die for Hitler or Pol Pot or whoever you want to fill in the blank with. That's limited atonement theory. How about this one? Jesus died to defeat Satan and all the powers of evil, Christus Victor theory. Well, we've got theories, and none of them really explain things the way we want. All of them have their limits and shortcomings, and you know why that is? It's because we're trying to take the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world, Jesus' death and resurrection, and we're trying to reduce that to language, to a theoretical proposition. If, if there was an equivalent of E equals MC squared for atonement, that's what a theory would do for us, right? But the really important things in life cannot be reduced, cannot be reduced to language. I remember when my children were born, each of them unique. I remember the first time they took breath. I remember holding Mary Frances's little body in my arms all swaddled up, looking into her sweet face. And I remember when they held Joseph's little body for me, and there was a second or two when he wasn't breathing. And it felt like reality had been suspended. And then he let out breath. And I held him in my arms. Now, I can't reduce that to language. Now, some of you clever folks out there said, you just did. But I cannot explain the power of it. I cannot explain the meaning of it. I, I remember the first time I held a young woman's hand whose baby had just died. There were no words that I could say. What could I have said? Words failed me, so we just sat there and cried. Sometimes the enormity of an action, it cannot be expressed in words. You know, in the Second World War, when the, the pilot dropped that bomb in the Enola Gay over Hiroshima, he dropped the bomb, they found his journals, he left for his family years later, he said, I honestly have the feeling of groping for words to explain this. My God, what have we done? Now I hear in that, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is atonement. A atonement arises out of our deep experience that there is a fracture in the fabric of reality. There is separation between neighbor, ourself, and God. And, and we all want to know, how do we get right with God? Don't we want to know that? How do we get right with God? And how do we get right with neighbor? Well, that's atonement. So this morning, I, I want to speak to you in your place of deep brokenness or fracture and touch upon three experiences in the life and death of Jesus which bring us closer to the reality of atonement. The first is that atonement in the life of God, in, in the life of humanity, is a God-forsaking place. It is God-forsaken. What do I mean by that? You know the old stories we've heard since youth, some of you, how Adam and Eve were in paradise. They got kicked out of the garden for disobedience. 
the Israelites in writing this, they're trying to get at the fundamental fracture in human existence, fracture between human being and God. Things had started out in paradise. Everything was beautiful. There was no death, no sin, but then things got all broken up, didn't they? There was no at one to be found. There were just a lot of sinful human beings killing each other, starting wars, genocide. Things got off the rails pretty quick. Things had become God-forsaken. And things were God-forsaken for Jesus. I believe the first step in receiving atonement is to experience being God-forsaken. Jesus was on the cross, nailed there to the wood. His disciples had fled, and the one thing that came to his mind was that old familiar psalm that he cried out, that cry of dereliction. Maybe he'd had it memorized since a child. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew what it was like to hit rock bottom, to be abandoned. And the path achieving reconciliation began with the hard realization that God had fled the scene. I think for God to experience the human condition in its fullness, God had to empty himself of power, to empty himself of control, to feel what it is like to be God forsaken. And that's the way life feels like sometimes. For, for us to begin the process of healing, we have to know what fracture feels like, what separation feels like, what being God forsaken feels like. The second experience of Jesus on the path to atonement was Jesus' embrace of being a servant. And that's right there in the gospel story that you heard Claire read this morning. The mother of James and John, they go to Jesus and they ask him for something he can't give. She says, let these two boys of mine sit on the left and right hand side of yours on the throne when you come into your kingdom. Now, there's a mother's love for you, right? I mean, I get that. Maybe they come running home and said, Jesus is talking something crazy about dying and rising. Keeps talking about this. And maybe mama said, well, you know, that's, that's, maybe that's just a metaphor. Everything that lives must die. And so not being able to handle the great darkness, she asked for glory. Or maybe they asked for glory and they put her up to it. We don't know. Let these boys sit on your right hand and your left, she said. A good mother trying to get the best for her sons. And, but James and John had experienced those extreme moments of Jesus' life. They'd been right there by his side. Did you know that? He invited them up to, on the mountain for the transfiguration. They'd been in that inner circle on the mountain. They'd seen Jesus' face light up with the glory of God. Later, Jesus would ask them to a very special place, the Garden of Gethsemane. They were asked by Jesus to watch and pray in the garden. Jesus said, I am deeply grieved. Well, they must have meant a great deal to Jesus to get invited to all those moments. But didn't they deserve the seats of honor? Didn't they deserve to share in the great power that was now owed to them? But Jesus said no. Jesus said, there wasn't mine to give. 
Because that's, after all, what the Gentiles do. They lord it over one another. They install a tyrant at the top who passes out bribes and favors for those who are willing to be corrupted. That's not what Jesus came to do. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. The disciples wanted power, but Jesus came to serve. And you heard Paul say it differently. He said, Jesus died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. In other words, quit living for yourself and start living for God. If you want a one-sentence articulation, the gospel, there you have it. If God came to serve humanity, how much more are we called to serve each other? Now, we've all been captivated this past week by that story of the, the boys in Thailand who were in that cave. All followed that story and got an amazing uh, good ending, unlike so many other stories we hear. Well, I thought maybe, you know, this analogy, no analogy works perfectly, of course, but maybe it's like that, that one Thai Navy SEAL who died. He died delivering oxygen tanks along the escape routes for the boys as they were to leave the cave. And he was a volunteer. I didn't know that. I just assumed the government sent him there. He volunteered. He showed up. Nobody told him he had to do that. He just showed up. And, and I, I'd wager nobody was as qualified as that Thai Navy SEAL at that moment. Only one person could do it. And he died for others. In order to experience atonement, to experience real unity with neighbor and with God, we're called to have a servant's heart. To be servants. And the third experience I want to talk to you about this morning, and I'll close with this. And it's that Jesus died. Now we're so used to hearing this, we just skim over it. I don't think we hear how shocking it is. And this is what Paul meant by when he says the scandal of the cross. It is a scandal, an obstacle. A stumbling block because at the center of Christian faith is a crucified God. The disciples were not ready to hear it. They couldn't hear it no matter how many times Jesus said it to them. And Jesus let out that cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the soldiers mocked him and they tortured him. They tempted him. The veil of the temple was ripped in two. The earth shook and great big rocks split open and the saints walked out of their tombs, the gospel says. And Matthew tells us that only a very few were left at the cross. Only a very few women at the cross. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene. But there was one other woman there you know who that woman was? It was the mother of James and John who'd asked the question in the gospel reading this morning. The one who asked for glory was there at the cross. And she had just watched God die. And you see, there was no theory that would have helped her understand what was happening. There was no book she could have read to prepare her for that experience. Think about all the gods that had to die for her to see that. 
the God of victory who triumphs over evil Rome with military sword in his hand, never had a military loss, never admits to weakness. That God had long since died by the time Calvary came along. The God of patronage and corruption who rewards the innermost seats of power and ignores the very least among us, that God died the day that the mother asked the question about her boys. And when all her preconceptions had been wiped away, when all her pretensions and their pretensions to self-glory and power had been destroyed, she was ready for the one thing that could bring all of us back to sanity. She was ready for atonement. Nobody else could do it. Her sons couldn't do it. Blessed Mary, the mother of Jesus, couldn't do it. Only God could do it. And in a few days when they found the empty tomb, they'd look back in the rearview mirror and they would see all of reality differently. That's atonement. Now one day, if you haven't already, you will experience fracture and separation between what ought to be and what is. Between this world that is messed up and broken and a reality that beckons for wholeness and unity, but there is, there's good news. There's always good news. God was forsaken, so whenever we're lonely, there's the hope of unity with God. God was traumatized, so when we are victims, there is one who can heal the wounds. God was abandoned by his friends. Therefore, when human relationships fail, there is the reality of friendship with God. And Jesus died. So when death's cruel touch robs us of family, of friends, and one day our own lives, we know that death will not have the final say. Death will not have the final victory because Jesus experienced life and death in its joy and its cruelty because, yes, I don't understand it, but I confess it, Jesus paid the ransom when nobody else could. We now can have life. Amen. Whenever a word is offered, we give an opportunity to respond. And what that means is if you have a decision to make for Christ or to join our church or you have some other concern, you can come forward as we sing a hymn. We'll sing a hymn. That hymn is 520, a familiar hymn. needs no introduction, but I'll say one word about it that I never knew until this day. 520, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. 
Louisa Stead wrote it shortly after her husband died trying to rescue a boy who was drowning. Now think about that. Trusting in promises in the light of great fracture. And that's a testimony to us this morning. As we sing, we stand. Whenever we gather, uh, we bring our concerns and celebrations to one another, and I bring a very few for you this morning. Uh, first, an announcement. As I've been saying the last few Sundays, I want to uh, continue to invite folks who are able 
uh, to sign up for the Habitat for Humanity builds that are coming up. We have several uh, that will be coming up this season. The most important one will be the Lead Day on August 4th. Northside Drive Baptist Church will be leading that build to be an interfaith build, and uh, it's a great time. I did it for the first time last year, um, had great fellowship, and learned a lot about he uh, Habitat, and getting to meet uh, the owner of the house uh, then, and then later the dedication was just a great joy to see incarnate the work that we're doing. Our sign-ups are down this year, so we ask those who maybe haven't done it traditionally to look at signing up either in the narthex or out here or online. You'll see a link under events. Okay. You heard me mention at the beginning of the sermon um, some concerns uh, for Liz and for James, our senior pastor, James Lampkin, and his wife, Liz, who are in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, visiting with Liz's brother, Phil, um, who is ill and they'll be attending uh, to him over the next few days, so they're requesting prayer. And uh, we, we have many in our congregational life who we lift up this morning, uh, too numerous to name. It's been a difficult week for the congregation, and so we lift all of them up that you know that are in our hearts, those both we've said in email and in word to each other, those we hold in our hearts that we haven't said. We lift them up in prayer today. We have a great gift in our offertory music uh, this morning to hear the music of another uh, very familiar and deeply precious hymn to me. Uh, Valerie Waters will be uh, playing um, music for us this morning. Thank you, Valerie. We look forward to hearing you as we continue the worship of God by the giving of our tithes and offerings.
God, there are many mysteries and many things that we do not understand. But we understand this, that you love us and that your son died for us. May this be a church that speaks the truth to all we meet in love. May we use these gifts to the benefit of your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. may be seated for a moment. I'd like to ask Anna Cade Stevenson to come forward with all the children. If all the children could come forward, just pretend this is another children's sermon. Hey, buddy.
<laughs> That's a good question. All are welcome. Come on in the back. I see Sydney. Come on, Sydney. We're waiting on you. You may be wondering what we're doing up here and why I'm holding a box. Well, Anna Kate may be wondering too. I don't. You haven't seen this before, have you? Okay. Um, the, this box contains uh, letters and other treasures and keepsakes from the children of Northside Drive Baptist Church, and it is a gift to you that you can open and read and remember us with. So I want to give this to you now, Anna Kate. Um, Reverend Anna Kate Stevenson, as you heard me say earlier, this is her last day with us, and we're going to miss you, Anna Kate. Um, you've been here for, since 2015, October, and you've gone through a lot of things here, haven't you? Okay. Um, you got married in this church, didn't you? You were ordained in this church, and you have been a wonderful children's minister to us for these years. So many experiences and so much love, and so we want to do our part and say a blessing to us. Children, we're going to gather around and um, we're going to hold hands. Can, can we hold hands in a circle? Yeah? Okay. You, I'm going to ask you to hold... I'm going to ask you to hold this because I got to hold paper with one hand. So you hold that. Yeah? You get in there. Yeah, give me your hand. Okay. In congregation, you'll have a part two. I'm going to say a blessing. At the end of each blessing, I will say, Bless you. And you will say, Bless you, Anna Kate. Let's practice it. Bless you. Y'all are doing great. All right, we're going to. We better get this going, don't we? Yeah. As soon as we're done, go outside for eliminated cookies, okay? Anna Kate, for years of loving service to Northside Drive Baptist Church, bless you. For every wonderful children's sermon you've preached, bless you. For those great songs you sang to the children in preschool chapel, bless you. For the love you've shown all of our children and parents and all in this church, bless you. For every card you wrote to the children on their birthday, and just to check in and say, hey, how you doing? Bless you. And Anna Kate, for your love of God and God's church, and for journeying with us these past three years, bless you. And now, hear this benediction, this good word for Anna Kate and for all of you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Run out. Run out. Cookies. Cookies on the way.